Hey everyone, welcome back to At the Coffee Table Podcast. This is episode 78. I am Jason Klink, your host. Today I am joined by Tony Callisto, and Tony is everything law enforcement in my mind, but his bio, um, Tony is a criminal justice, safety and security, organizational development, and labor relations consultant. Uh, Tony spent a majority of his life in law enforcement. Uh, ending his career um, as chief of law enforcement at Syracuse University. Um, He's trained many, many law enforcement officers, uh, emergency response personnel, emergency services personnel, um, and he's he's built a career over many decades um, that dealt with uh, organizational and leadership development. Uh, Tony, thank you for joining me here today. Really appreciate it. I know it's early where you are uh, on the other side of the other side of the country <laughs> making my way back jason Make, uh, thanks uh, thanks for inviting me uh yeah i'm currently in a uh in a a nice little uh, uh rv resort in arizona where That's we expected funny. to be about 72 degrees today oh even better <laughs> even better escaping the, the winter and the and the cold so tony I, you know with the the environment and, and i'm gonna kind of jump right in here um with the environment the way it's been over the last couple of years and how a lot of uh, organizations have had to pivot, have had to completely reinvent themselves. Um, it really speaks to how strong is the leadership and how do we cultivate that leadership moving forward? What have been, I guess we'll call it, a, what, what have been some of the paradigm shifts that you've seen in the last couple of years with the, with the organizations you've been working with? Yeah, that that's a that's a great question, especially when we think about um, what's gone on in the country, uh, what's gone on in um, a public service, and specifically what's gone on with uh, with public sentiment around uh, policing and law enforcement. There's been a significant change uh, with regards to um, what people see the police as, and uh, the level of general respect or disrespect uh, that law enforcement agencies um, experience um, and the need, um, the real need to be responsive um, to the demand for change. Right. Uh, you think about it, we're, we're in an era where, you know, the words defund the police um, have become uh, an anchor uh, right. for a demand for change. And, you know, what does that even mean? You know, right. when you think about that, what the defund the police, what does that mean to mean to you, Jason? Is it what is that? What pops into your head when, when you hear those terms? <laughs> nothing good, yeah. <laughs> nothing good at all. Because to me, you know, you're taking away from, you're taking away from the safety and security of the the population or the the neighborhoods, the areas that they're 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 sworn to protect. Um, you're taking away you're taking away tools and equipment out of the hands of these officers to effectively do their job. Um, and you know, people can be on one side of the aisle or the other, have what one opinion one way or the other, and that that's fine. But I have been fortunate enough to work with and support some great police officers over the years. And is there a bad apple every now and again? Absolutely. Who doesn't have that in, in, in any organization? But for the most part, I, these people that put on the badge, put on the uniform, care so much that they go and put themselves in harm's way every single day. 
no yeah and you know you know i um i i think uh you offer the sentiment of, of likely the the vast majority of of people in the country yeah. um and and the but the reality for for some other folks um is is they don't have that view of law enforcement and they don't have that view of law enforcement because their experience their life experience their community experience right. is different than yours and yeah. uh and so the the you know the, the, the so for for communities in poverty communities of color uh, communities uh, 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 where uh, there's a significant uh, minority representation and a very minimal number of minority law enforcement officers. Uh, for them, the experience uh, with law enforcement, whether whether it is a daily real experience or it's a perceived experience based on accounts of others or uh, based on media accounts, um, but the experience nonetheless um, is one of an oppressive uh, organization that doesn't represent um, the safety that you and I um, might feel and experience um, as members of uh, of law enforcement, fire, emergency service community. I mean, yeah. we we see that you know we see the good work of the good folks, uh, yeah. and we feel the good work. And so, um, so the leadership of the 21st century, the leadership of the last three years, uh, last well five years, um, in uh, government and law enforcement actually has to be responsive to both, yes. um, to those communities and those folks that uh, that have a, you know, a sense of of um, a feeling that um, the the law enforcement officers are there to protect them and serve them, and that they feel safe in their community because of police. Mm-hmm. And we have to be responsive to folks who feel um, that their community is unsafe because of police. Yeah, the word safety used to mean something. Um, very different than what it means today, and and uh, and so the word you know the word safety for some communities um, uh, is uh, being safe from what they see as a pr- oppressive uh, government intrusion uh, into their lives, and uh, right. and so you know so leadership. What do we do about that? That's the really the cornerstone question for for law enforcement uh, leaders today, for police chiefs, especially um, in urban settings and police chiefs in uh, suburbs that surround urban settings. Uh, where there are, you know, where there are uh, real concerns uh, with regards to to what happens with police, and one incident can easily be seen uh, through a couple of different lenses, right. especially especially when there's violence. Yes. So, you know, recent incidences involving um, law enforcement officers engaging in deadly force during a no-knock warrant, um, and uh, you know, the, the a person inside completely unrelated. To the to the warrant, they just happen to be uh, present, um, but they might be a, a, even a lawful firearm owner. Um, don't view the police entry as uh, as a as what you and I might think it is. You know, they're right. they're going to go in, they're going to do a, a a search warrant or an arrest warrant, um, but they might view it as an intrusion into a house that they may be sleeping in. Sure. And all of a sudden, that person uh, points a gun at a police officer, and that police officer is going to shoot them. Yep. Um, that that incident from folks who are first responders, folks from, uh, you know, uh, from communities where they don't experience uh, the level of violence that other communities might experience, uh, might be seen uh, and, and would be seen as a, as a lawful and appropriate uh, use of force in an unfortunate incident where folks who live in that community um, might see that incident um, as, uh, a, a, an un, as an unreasonable, unlawful, excessive use of force. 
right. uh, by police against the community member. Right. And that's where we have protests and, and ultimately um, uh, uh, real challenges in the community. Uh, so thinking and rethinking and reimagining uh, what law enforcement is and does um, is a big part of what uh, 21st century law enforcement leaders um, are doing today. And it's, yep. and it's because, uh, because it's necessary, because there's a, there's a focal point and a lens on what might be lawful versus what might be acceptable to the community. Yeah. And, uh, and so it, it now takes um, vision. Yes. And, and so when we think about vision, we, even the term vision and what, what, what vision is um, as a leader, um, part of my responsibility over the years was to inspire a vision uh, right. is to, it was to articulate with clarity you know, right. what that new vision is. And, and a vision is really a future state. You know, we're not there yet. We're going to be there. And here's what that state is. And the best leaders really do their best reflective listening with people in their community, mm -hmm. people in their law enforcement agency, yep. people from the union that represents the officers, yep. uh, people from the uh, uh, that are responsible for, to legislate law, uh, and others in, in the uh, uh, first responder community, really a, a, a kind of a global view. I want to in, engage and, and respect, respectfully listen to people as a leader um, to then be able to articulate what might be a shared vision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that and, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, I was going to, I was going to say, you know, and that's a, uh, you know, when you, when you talk about sharing a vision and creating a vision, and getting total buy-in and making sure it's well communicated to everybody involved in the process. Um, you know, I, I, I've seen some places where it's just, that's difficult. You know, usually it's, this is what we're doing. That's it. Black and white. End of story. Right. Instead of here, here's the vision we're going to create. This is the, the um, appearance that we're going to present forward. And this is going to be accepted and communicated to everybody involved. Um, and what I was thinking while you were talking too is it kind of piggybacking off of that is there has been, there's been such a mass exodus and not only law enforcement, but police, fire, EMS, 911, there's been a mass exodus. People are hitting their 20 years and getting out cause they can retire or they're getting to, to 15, 16 years and going, you know what? I don't want to work another 15 or 16 years. I'm going to go do something else. that's going to pay me a lot more money with a lot less hassle. And you know, to me, there has to be that paradigm shift of leadership in order to stop the, that bleeding of personnel, that bleeding of personnel that are leaving, that have a ton of experience, maybe have a ton of education. And like here locally, that's, you know, that kind of shift has been very slow to come by. And there's, you know, I've talked to public safety agencies across the country that are all saying the same thing. We're at 50% staffing, we're at 40% staffing, and, you know, we just don't know how to get more people. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're in, we're in a time where where uh, where law enforcement um, certainly more than uh, more than EMS um, and significantly more than fire service um, is experiencing um, not only a significant bleed but also yep. a, a pretty significant um, lack of interest, and a lot of that is driven certainly by um, the the defund rhetoric mm -hmm. um and the and the feeling that um police is no policing is no longer a noble uh a noble career that right. uh that you know who wants to do that who wants to put themselves 
in harm's way for others and who wants to put their livelihood on the line um, on every call. Every call has the potential um, to be the call that you end up, um, you know, engaged in an activity that you were trained to do in a way that you were trained to do it, um, but that there's a bad result uh, and and ultimately you're vilified uh, in the community. So that's... That's the vision today yes. <laughs> for what yeah. law enforcement is, um, right. as as uh, as it's been articulated by the media and by um, certainly some political leaders um, uh, at every level of government, and and so uh, and 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 by community activists. So again, leaders in law enforcement have to be responsive to that. And and uh, um, we, it, 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 you know, some would say, well, you got to push back on that narrative, and and I I say, no, you know what, um, we've got to embrace. The reality of that narrative, understand what it means, understand why it's important to a significant uh, number of people um, in communities around the country, yeah. and and what we need to do about it, um, while while also um, truly loving the people that are in our organization, yeah. and truly supporting them, um, which is a difficult balance. You know, you think about it. How do you when a bad thing happens? as a law enforcement leader, um, how do you communicate to the public when there's anger and rage in the public about what happened and to your own agency who believes that you're going to be selling them out um, even if the person followed policy, procedure, practice. And uh, and so, you know, leaders have an obligation to to walk that thin line. Uh, You know, one of the best people in the local Syracuse community um, that has uh, has done that uh, in recent years uh, a, a wonderful friend and a colleague of mine that I love, uh, Frank Fowler. I was really just going to bring that up. I was just going to bring really, that up. <laughs> Jason, he was absolutely yep. um, genuine right. with regards to his commitment to the community. For sure. He had a, he, he, long before there were any incidences, yep. um, Frank, uh, as a sergeant, well, as a police officer, but then as a sergeant in community relations, as the deputy chief of community relations, and ultimately as the police chief for many, many years, um, in, in Syracuse, Frank was Syracuse. He yes. was the community. Oh yeah, he, he engaged the community. Yep. Uh, he he met with and 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 uh, worked with uh, uh, the uh, uh, religious community, the faith community in the city of Syracuse, with the activist community in the city of Syracuse, uh, and ultimately with the uh, uh, with political leaders and in, in, in others in the city. But equally important. Frank was a cop's cop from yeah. the day he started to yep. the day he retired. Yep. And so, you know, he didn't hundred percent agree and never, you know, he didn't, he didn't uh, uh, felt to engage a discipline when it was appropriate. Uh, right. Frank, you know, Frank, Frank terminated people that need to be terminated. He presided over incidences where his own officers uh, might've been arrested and yep. prosecuted uh, yep. for a couple of incidents. But there was those small ball, uh, um, bad apple incidences really, um, People in the union understood it. People that worked for the agency understood it. And the community appreciated it. Um, he got it. And yes. he articulated a vision of a safe community yep. uh, where uh, where he exuded professionalism and exuded a sense of respect from the community um, yep. that he worked hard uh, to, to, uh, uh, to gather steam around his officers in that way. Uh, and that uh, you know, that's the kind of leadership. Uh, that is uh, powerful and effective. Um, it is incredibly tiring. Yeah. And, uh, 
and I and I um, you know join in in congratulating him in his retirement a few years back uh, because that was well deserved and well earned. For sure. uh, but we need more leaders like Frank in every aspect of the community, every yeah. aspect of public safety, and every aspect of business uh, to step up and be leaders in tough times. Yeah, yeah, you know it, it, that man. That's so true because we all across the board right now we need strong leaders all across the board. We need people to step up and, and lead from all at, from all angles. You know, that's my, I'd love to see leaders that lead from all angles. You know, when I was, when I was fire chief, um, I, I tried to do that. And what I tried to do was show the guys and girls that I wasn't afraid to do the. If I'm going to expect them to do the work, I wasn't afraid to do the work. And yeah, I can remember one time uh, we had a, we had whatever incident it was and we were loading hose and I jumped up on the back of the pumper and I started loading the hose and I had a more senior member going, what are you doing? I go loading the hose. He's like, Oh, I thought once you got a white hat, you didn't have to, you, you, you forgot how to do that anymore. I go, no, I didn't. I'm very capable. Thanks. And let's get this done. Um, but when you see lead and, and I have worked for really strong leaders that they didn't have to command respect or, right. or anything like that because they earned it with what they did and how they handled the personnel day in and day out. And they genuinely had a vested interest in everybody that was on their staff yeah, yeah. versus really weak leaders that didn't know people's names, didn't know their background, probably didn't okay. even know they worked there until they tripped over them in the hallway or wherever <laughs> it was. Um, and you just, you just seen the tale of two different morales when you, versus that strong leader and that weak leader. Yeah. So, well, you're spot on with this, Jason. And, you know, I think of the, the leadership, leadership successes that I had in my career. Yeah. Um, I was appointed as a sergeant in the sheriff's office in 1987. Many of your viewers probably weren't even born yet. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. But it, so 1987, I was five years on the job. I was a young guy. I was 25 years old, uh, appointed as a sergeant. And I was responsible for folks um, in the unit that I had were 35 folks that, um, almost to a person everybody was older than me a right. few guys about my age and everybody else was you know probably 10 years or so older than me and i couldn't command respect i had to earn respect sure and, and i had to earn respect through through three different things one um i couldn't back away from my five-year history so uh if i didn't have a good reputation um uh, as i walked into that job already uh, as a as a hard worker, as a go to person, as a good partner, as yeah. someone who was um, always willing to pitch in, uh, I'd have had a problem. So I walked into it with that reputation. All right. Um, but then I also had to kind of build a new reputation as a supervisor and leader. That was one of um, strong vision, strong leadership, but also one that was always looking out for other people. Uh, and I learned that early on, and I learned that from a lot of good leaders that I worked for. Yeah. Um, fast forward to my time as uh, as a chief deputy at the sheriff's office, uh, and then as a chief at at Syracuse University. Um, one of the things I knew uh, when I took those roles, and I, I was a chief, a chief executive from 1996 until I retired last June, 24/7 call. Um, significant administrative responsibility during the daytime right. um, lots of constituents to have to engage with and, and be concerned about um in both organizations um 
you know, lots of bosses. Yes, I reported, reported directly to the sheriff and the sheriff's office, but I had to deal with and, and respectfully engage the county legislature, the county executive and budget office mm -hmm. um, at the university. There's a board of trustees. Sure. There's a, the, you know, the, even though I was, I ended my career as a senior vice president, I, I was responsive to a, 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 an entire team of senior VPs, the vice chancellor and chancellor. Um, and so the folks above me uh, and the folks parallel to me um, were, we had, took up a significant portion of my time. So I'd be around Monday through Friday during the daytime all the time, right? Yep. yep. Well, my folks in both organizations for the you know 25 years that I was in a senior executive role worked around the clock and weekends. I could not be the kind of leader that they needed if I was only responsive to the Monday through Friday uh, <laughs> responsibilities of a chief. Right. Uh, and so I made an effort from the day I was appointed chief deputy at the sheriff's office to the day I retired that every weekend and at least one uh, night, late night, I'd be out in the field um, meeting, talking with officers, Right. Roll, you know, rolling up on the, the scene of an incident, rolling up on a vehicle traffic stop and being the backup for a minute, you know, just like rolling holes. Right. Right. Um, right. Stopping into the jail and taking a walk through the facility and meeting with the, the folks uh, that were ending their shift at, at 11 and starting the folks that were starting their shift at 11 um, because it was important for them to feel my presence. Yes. And to have an opportunity to talk to me yep. and have an opportunity for me to share vision with them. And so an inspired shared vision is yeah. only inspired and shared when it's communal. Yes. When the leader is part of the organization in a way that people feel like they're with them. Yeah, that's so good. It's so good. And that's really, truly, and it's something I preach all the time is that, and I truly believe that to have that total buy-in into the mission, it has to come from the top down. So if rank and file see that the top has complete buy-in into the mission and they're part of the mission, they're going to work just as hard or harder to try to, to support and promote that, that mission. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. And you know, it's funny where you're saying that I was thinking of another Frank Fowler story is when I was dispatching, there would be times where we ran out of police cars, yeah. priority, priority calls, no police cars, any unit, and there was a couple of times where I'd be on the radio and I hear car one. And I was like, what? And, and the chief, I'll take that. And then you watch units clear all over the place because the police chief is taking the, <laughs> taking yeah. a call. Uh, but that was always, you know, it was always fun to see. And, and it was good that, that they had, that he had, and his chief's office had that, that finger on the pulse of what was going on every day. Right. And you think about that simple act of, at seven o'clock at night or whatever, yeah. Um, hearing car one on the radio, yep. Uh, and all of a sudden, the the lack of availability became incredible availability because that leadership by example, yep, led to others who okay, I could clear this call and go on to the next one, yeah. Um, but they weren't because the, the it, there was that vacuum for a moment. As soon yep. as they felt that leadership presence, they stepped up, right? Yes. Yep. Um, the absent leader is not going to make that happen. And that, you know, that is really a, a, a you know a great example of why um, that is so important yeah. and why it's so tiring. Yeah. You know, imagine, you know, imagine, you know, the, the 10 years or so, I think Frank was, was uh, maybe it was 12 or 13 years. He was, you know, between his time as a deputy chief and his time as chief, yep. you know, it was over a decade. Yeah. How tiring, oh, yeah, sure. yeah. How tiring that is for a leader. Yep. Um, and, uh, and it's demanding and, and, and frankly, um, 
community members and uh, um, and part, people who are part of the organization um, do expect that. They expect to see that. And when they don't, then there's a void in leadership. And that becomes a real challenge for the organization. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Um, the other thing, I just want to make one more point about all yep, this. Yep, yep, um, The other thing a good leader has to do uh, in this is, is when they fail to do something like that. I mean, in 25 years, there were times, there were gaps. There were moments when I was too exhausted where, you know, it, yeah. you know, I missed, I would miss a couple of weeks or I, you know, just, you know, I had to check out for, for a period of time. Sure. Um, I had to be ready to, to apologize for that. I, you know, for any other mistakes that I might've made and, yep. and uh, you know, so, you know, in, in leading and disciplining employees, um, yep. sometimes you don't get it right. And, uh, right. and I had to be ready to, to publicly apologize to the folks uh, that work for me and be ready to publicly apologize to the community as a, uh, as a, a campus law enforcement leader. Yep. Um, you know, there's lots of engagement in international students. So I had to, had to be ready to apologize. Um, and then to say what I was going to be doing differently or what our organization was going to be differently to get past the mistakes that were made. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just having the right amount of humility, humility to be able to, to be able to go, you know what, that was an incorrect decision. This is how we're going to fix it. I apologize. It, and it's all part, you know, I mean, as leaders, we're always learning, we're always growing and we're trying to do better and, and trying to educate ourselves more and making sure that we're in tune with, with the people that, that serve with us. Um, and, and that kind of leads into something I wanted to bring up to you. There seems to be, and, and what's been kind of brought to my attention by uh, some other industry professionals is the generational gap that. Like uh, the baby boomers are on their way out if they haven't gone out already. You have the generation Xers that like me that um, are probably the, from what I've been told, the smallest generation right now, population wise. Um, but we're, we're at kind of towards the tail end, tail end of our careers heading on the way out. Then you have the millennials who make up a majority of the workforce right now. And then the Gen Z's who are getting ready to enter the workforce and each generation has has its own flavor, I guess we'll call it. Yeah. And do you see that that kind of generational gap and change in generations really affecting how leaders lead? Well, yeah, you know, I, I started in the sheriff's office in 1981 when it was the veteran generation, the World War II oh, veterans yes. right. were the folks who were in charge. Right. You know, uh, uh, you know, John C. Dillon uh, was the sheriff who hired me and, and uh um, John was uh, uh, was Korean War era, um, uh, but uh, yeah, but the uh, um, the captains, the lieutenants, the folks who you know kind of raised me in 1981, um, most of them were older than him, and and folks that had served uh, in World War II or were you know in law enforcement during World War II in the 1940s and 50s. It's amazing. I I think yeah. of, uh, of some of the names and faces that go by, and and. Uh, and, and so we were baby boomers. I was one of the late baby boomers. And, uh, and certainly um, as a, as a generation, we were very different uh, from our parents. Uh, yeah. we, our, our parents grew up and, and were raised in the depression era. Yeah. Uh, we were raised from plenty um, after, uh, after world war II, um, there was a boom in jobs, in the economy, right. uh, in the growth of the United States. Right. And so, you know, many of us that are, that are, uh, uh, that are baby boomers were, you know, we're really um, privileged in ways that our that our parents um, weren't. Um, and then we, um, you know, the, the the early baby earlier baby boomers like my brother, who's in his mid seventies now, um, okay. all have you know 
you know, children that are in their forties, right. right. Um, almost 50. And, yep. uh, and so, you know, those, the folks in your generation, you know, yep. were, were raised a, a, in a different way right. um, as we kind of went through the sixties and seventies and saw significant social change. Um, yeah. uh, you know, folks in, you know, in the next generation uh, were, were really kind of raised differently. So the, my, my point is, you know, now fast forward to, my kids who are in their, you know, twenties and thirties right. um, and, uh, you know, in building careers in the workforce, um, the, the way uh, folks that are currently newer to the workforce, the 20 year olds, the millennials, uh, the, even there's even a newer term. Uh, the folks who were born after, after 2000 are now, yeah. you know, in their twenties and in the workforce. Right. Um, you know, those, those kids were, 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 were raised in a, uh, an environment where, um, where the parental influence um, was less significant than social influences uh, through social media, through oh, the yeah. internet. I mean, those yeah. things didn't exist when, uh, you know, you know, you think about uh, you, even in your own time, you yeah. know, you know, when did, you know, when did cell phones pop up and stuff? You, you were, you know, you were growing up. Well, you know, my kids um, and kids that are younger than them coming into the workforce now, electronics yeah. and access to, electronic media were instant when they were little. So yeah. it all has, it makes it has a different impact on the way they view the world. So, the, right. so, so boomers like me who are, you know, kind of seen as outdated, um, really, uh, it's do still have significant impact and control over the workplace. And we have to recognize, and, and folks in your generation have to recognize, uh, that the folks who were raised with a lot of more, a lot more information, a lot more freedom and connection to the world around them, uh, right. And world beyond them right. through uh, through uh, electronic uh, connection, um, that that they have a different and more uh, uh, more diverse and more liberal view of the world and the workplace, uh, and and uh, and we have to adapt that, yes. like our like those those World War II generation veterans had right. to adapt to this huge baby boomer population of folks that that came in, but I'll say this. Um, I am encouraged uh, by the new generation. I teach every new academy recruit. Um, even as I retired, I went and taught the new academy um, at the university. Uh, I teach all new uh, sergeants throughout Onondaga County, newly promoted or just about to be promoted, city, county, town, village. They go through a, a, a school that myself and Chief Derek Osbeck and, and others uh, have led for the past decade. Uh, so we have an opportunity to engage those folks. So for 10 years, I've been teaching every sergeant, every sergeant that rolls out, I've had an opportunity to engage with. And what I see in the new generation of officer, the new generation of first line supervisor, I see an inspiration uh, for the future. I see a desire to do good. I see an embracing and an acceptance and in a, in a, in a celebration of diversity in ways that I haven't seen before that is really important um, to kind of link back to the first part of our conversation yeah. uh, that this new generation of leaders coming through, they will shepherd us into um, beyond the defund era into the reframe era. And I'm not going to say reform. I'm going to say reframe era of public service, of law enforcement, of fire service, of the MS, uh, and that uh, they're much ready, much more ready uh, to look at differences as opportunities. Mm. Where you and I, as a you know chief fire uh, 
a chief of fire department, a chief of a law enforcement agency might look at uh, differences as challenges or differences as threats to our authority. Um, the, the, the newer generation um, looks differently uh, at, at, at those kinds of diverse issues and embraces them in a way that can move us forward. That means you and I, if we still have leadership responsibilities in organizations, yep. have to adopt uh, a, a different and a new philosophy, um, one that uh, uh, that is welcoming uh, to differences and, and understands how to actually lead through difference uh, by engaging uh, folks in the organization. Uh, it, it, you know, it's folks like you and me who have had opportunities to do this over the past 20 years, um, and if we've done it right, uh, in, in the in in our own uh, life transition, um, we can still lead in the environment today. Uh, folks who are stuck uh, in, in in where they were 20 years ago, the good old days when they started yeah. in the business, or 30 right. years ago when they started in the business, and the way right. it used to be, and what we used to be able to do. If you're a leader in an organization, continually looking back to the good old days, uh. you don't have vision. You're not sharing vision. <laughs> That's so you're good. You're sharing war stories. Uh. Yeah. Okay. We can yep. learn from the history. There's no, you know, don't ignore history. Absolutely. We can learn from it, but we can't, we can't put on rose colored glasses and look backward. We have to do it with honesty and integrity and recognize where we made mistakes and yep. where, where our future today um, was created by mistakes we made in the past in some ways. Um, and, and we're at where we're at and need to be, be able to move beyond it. I don't that, know if that makes so sense. Good. No, that's so good. That's so good. Cause I always say like, you know, I was fire chief in my early 30s, and I always say, you know, fire chief, me, fire chief, 32, versus me, if I was to be fire chief again now, would be two totally different leadership styles. It would be completely different decision-making processes um, because, I, 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 you know, I've had those life experiences in that time. And you're, you're right. You can't just keep dwelling on and remembering everything, everything that's already happened. Because there's no way to move forward from that if you're always dwelling and worrying about what's already happened. It's like, you know, where what are we facing right now? How can we find solutions to those challenges? How do we incorporate and include everybody in 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 making in making those decision making processes? Um, it, it's it's just a different, you know, you me we we started in these paramilitary organizations and it was always leadership from the top down. That was it. You took your direct order and you did what you were told. And if you didn't, you got disciplined. End of story. To where now you you almost have the ability to lead from the back and just observe and watch as they knock things around. Observe and, and watch and, and start picking your points of where to direct and not give those direct orders, but say, hey, I see that you're doing this, but I think it would work better if you did that. Um, and, and just give everybody that dialogue. Yeah, so so you know you 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 make some really good points here, and when you think about the traditional uh, leadership models, they're like a pyramid, yeah. And so the the at the top of the pyramid is the is the fire chief, the police chief, the sheriff, yeah. um, the CEO of the organization. At the bottom of the pyramid um, are the vast majority of folks who are the worker bees. Um, yes, yes. You know, the folks who are you know who are impacted by the top. Yes. Um. And and, and really good leadership inverts the pyramid. Um. That yes. Uh, you know that that. Part of turning that pyramid upside down is being able to continue to be balanced on the point of the pyramid. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Mm -hmm. Envision a pyramid, right? Yep. Envision a big triangle. 
and and the the the, the level of pressure needed um, to be able to keep it balanced if it's upside down, and that balance happens through that leader um, at the bottom of the pyramid at the point looking up and recognizing the value, the importance, and the significance of the roles of each of the folks that go to the broader and wider scam of, scheme of that uh, pyramid uh, and, and be able to listen effectively to them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then to be able to offer them the kind of leadership that provides for direction that is consistent with their expectations mm. and with the vision that's been articulated. Yes. So we have to have clarity of direction, but it has to be consistent with the vision and the mission. Everything needs to be driven by vision and mission, but vision and mission has to be built by community, by thinking, by by an, a, a leader who doesn't just dictate, but really listens and understands what the needs of the community and the needs of those uh, folks at the top of the b- big pyramid yeah. uh, need to do. Direction's important. Consistency is what maintains that balance. Pressure from both sides really has to be through consistency. And that means I got, as a leader, I got to make sure the folks that are above me in that pyramid are really um, sharing the vision Yep. Uh, and that we understand each other and we have regular engagement so that there's consistency regardless of that 24-hour time frame, yep. shift to shift, period to period, group to group, that there's yep. consistency in the application of that direction and that there's consequences. And, and it's important when we think about direction, providing that in a consistent way, that there's consequences for what happens as a result of that direction. So people that share the vision, that follow the mission, engage the mission, and yep. follow direction, they're rewarded. Yes. And that we en- engage them in a way that's positive. And for folks that don't, um, then there has to be negative consequences. But right. they have to be reasonable negative consequences. So as a leader, we we can't use, you know, if our toolbox only has a hammer, um, we're only going to be able to deal with with problems as a nail, right? Right, right. We got to have lots of tools in the toolbox to deal with challenges to offer the consequences necessary. One of the things I used to do as a leader all the time, and, I, and right up from the beginning, right up to the end, is I learned early on. Um, first line supervisors, uh, lieutenants in the fire service, sergeants in the police department, um, they're going to see things that happen all day long, and they're going to decide what they're going to act upon, right? Right. Well. What they need to act upon with regards to their uh, to the staff that they work with is uh, for every time they see something wrong, they need to go out and look for two things right. Yes. So I would always say if you're going to write a supervisor memorandum or a counseling memo to somebody because of something that really needs to be different, something that needs to change, or you yep. have to have some consequences. Now, right after that, now go out and find two officers that are doing. Um, excellent work, doing the right thing, and you write them up. For every yeah. piece of paper that's negative, as a leader, I should see coming across my desk two pieces of paper that are commendation in nature. That's awesome. You know, if we do that, we build the yes. consistency of that inverted pyramid in yes. a way that people at the top of the, the pyramid, the ones that are actually getting the work done, um, recognize and feel that leadership has their back yes. and supported. Yes. And so, so as we, you know, as we circle back to the defund era, um, I got to be able to do that as a law enforcement leader for the folks that work work in my organization, um, in a way uh, that the community recognizes I'm just and fair. Also, yes. that, I'm, that, that the consequences are real when there's a real problem 
too. Okay. Yes. If I can do that, um, I can I can lead in that way. Well, you know, this lends itself to labor negotiations, how we engage our union, um, you know, w- w- how we we uh, try to support uh, uh, folks while we do have an obligation to manage mm-hmm. a budget and be responsive to taxpayers. Um, yep. All of it's all, always always about balance. Uh, and if you can find the right balance, you can actually last for 40 years in a career <laughs> uh, and be able to walk out of the end of it with your head high like Frank Fowler did, like yep. Tony Callisto did, like yep. lots of my other colleagues, Lloyd Perkins, um, John Ballone, you know, just some, you know, in the local community, um, you've had some, you know, some really good people that I've had the pleasure and the honor uh, yes. to work with and train with and lead with and, and, and then develop and write policy and procedure with that I love as friends, but I also respect um, as leaders that have all survived and thrived uh, through careers by doing the things that we're talking about today. That's so good. So good. And it's just, you know, it goes back to hundred percent ownership of everything that we do and, you know, leadership or otherwise it's, it's hundred percent ownership of the good, bad, the ugly, and the indifferent of, of everything we do. Um, well, ownership is probably one of the most most important words here. If when yeah. you think of the inverted pyramid, yeah, um, we want to inspire a feeling and a sense of ownership of the folks that are actually doing the job. Right. Uh, if I right. I have ownership, it's easy for a leader to have ownership. Yep. You know, um, but if I carefully guard and defend my ownership as my own, yeah, um, and don't share that power, share that ownership, yeah. I lose power. Yeah, I lose ownership. Right. Uh, because there will be informal leaders. You said this earlier, Jason. Yep. You know, you like leadership that comes from all angles. Well, there's going to be informal leaders that don't hold any rank in a fire. Service. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you yeah. Know, I think I think about my my two sons who are city firefighters. Um, you know, there's a tremendous amount of respect for Mike Mons. He's a very good leader. Yes. Um, I, I like him a lot. Um, and there's some firefighters that my son, Jake, who's, you know, three years in the fire service, really has been trained well and looks up to that don't hold a bar on their collar, uh, but they're oh, the yeah. informal leaders of the house. Oh right? yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. 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 So, the, the, so the guys that, that own real estate in, in, in the house that, that, that they've put in their time, they've, they've taken their knocks, but the knowledge and experience that they have is, is they don't need a set of, you know, collar brass to really have an influence on what, what's going on. Yeah, so those leaders with collar brass, the the, the legitimate and, and designated leaders, um, really do have a, a an opportunity um, uh, to um, encourage and engage leadership at all levels of the organization, especially at that top layer of the inverted pyramid where yeah. nobody has rank, uh, but there's a tremendous amount of respect and yeah. and cer- certainly significantly more interaction uh, with younger. Uh, newer folks. So if I, you know, if I let uh, let the informal leaders who are negative leaders, yeah. who are engaged always in in looking backward, who are um, uh, who lead people in a wrong direction, if I let them, if I just let them have free reign and lead in a way that they want to, um, I'm probably going to have some cancer in my organization. Yeah. So I have to look for and encourage those leaders that pop up uh, that are that share that, that have contributed to the shared vision. And share that vision and always are working toward the mission. And I'm going to recognize those folks and congratulate those folks and show up for those folks. And then those folks that, that are good leaders but lead in the wrong direction, 
Um, I've had those in my organizations. Mm -hmm. And and some uh, I've engaged in a, a lot of effort into helping them turn around. Yes. Um, and, 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 and to some degree, it's using the accountability systems, the consequences that might be negative. But more often, it's through actually listening to them and understanding what they see and how they see the world and how they see the organization and where it's going and how I might be able to help them see it in a different light. That's um, I can actually make a change in that. That's outstanding. And I think that's a great place to end right there. So, Tony, I, I, uh, I appreciate your time, your insight. It's been outstanding, everything I expected out of this conversation and more. Um, but I wanted to allow you to connect with others. So what's the best way for people to connect to you as they're watching this later? Well, great. So I um, have a consulting firm. If you look above me, www.tonycalisto.com. Um, feel free to reach out uh, if you want to talk further. Um, the the uh, the bulk of the work uh, that my consulting uh, firm does is around criminal justice leadership issues, um, you know, I do some expert witness work in the area of criminal justice and, and, uh, um, and, and mostly in jail and law enforcement operations. Um, but uh, I have an entirely uh, separate practice around labor relations and leadership uh, and uh, do training, cons you know, uh, consultations, um, leadership coaching, um, and uh, have wonderful uh, folks to be able to work with like uh, like Jason Clink. And so you know, <laughs> there's partnership opportunities. We're going to look for those too. But uh, yep. yeah, com. You can uh, email me at uh, Tony at um And my phone number is 315-380-8160. Outstanding. Great. Tony, thank you again. I appreciate your time in this early morning for you. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'd love to have this conversation again, no matter what the topic is. I, I, I'd love to do this again. Sure. Pick a different topic and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk for longer than we're supposed to. Uh, <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> Outstanding. All right, everyone. I hope uh, everybody's enjoyed this. Please, you know, drop a comment. Tell us what you think. Share it with anybody you might think would get any value out of it. And until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and have a great day. Thank you.